Let's take our Bibles, if you would. If you don't have a Bible, there are some on the back table. Um, Take your Bible and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 13. Luke 13, and we'll be in verses 22 through 30 this morning. One of the greatest things about Denny's, I know, while we're on the subject, uh, besides the fact that breakfast is always available, which is the sign of a great restaurant, uh, besides that, it's the fact that it's always open. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, Denny's is open. You can go there on Christmas and have a Grand Slam. Uh, you could go on Thanksgiving. They have turkey dinner on Thanksgiving. So if you don't have anywhere to go this Thanksgiving, you can go. I think you could probably ring in the New Year with a cup of coffee, sitting in a booth at Denny's if you wanted to. Uh, which is why I was so astonished when I pulled on the door of a Denny's in Canton, Ohio one time, and it was locked. <laughs> I didn't know they had locks on the doors of, of Denny's. It was probably about 15 years ago, and I still haven't gotten over the shock of it, obviously. Um, I was meeting my friend Nate, which some of you have met. We were getting there to going there to, to enjoy some breakfast and conversation. And I remember going up. It was, it was the morning. It wasn't the middle of the night. And I, I pulled on the door, and it was locked. And there was a sign on the door indicating that they were closed. Denny's closed? I mean, come on. Why in the world would Denny's be closed? And the sign said that they were closed for carpet cleaning. Carpet cleaning. I mean, these must have been some dirty carpets. Nothing gets Denny's to lock their doors, but the carpets needed to be cleaned. And so they locked the doors. And I was amazed. (laughs) I was surprised. And life is full of of surprises. Um, We're going to see in Luke 13 another surprise of the kingdom. Last week we saw that the kingdom, uh, the, the surprise of the kingdom is that it's small. It looks small, it starts small, but it grows large in size and in significance and in influence. And the surprise of the kingdom in, in this passage has to do with what Jesus calls the door to the kingdom. The, the way to get into the kingdom. And we're faced with some, some surprising, some astonishing thoughts about, uh, about for whom the door of the kingdom will be open. And for whom the door of the kingdom will be shut. Those that will be able to get in through that door and those who will not. And in light of these surprises, Jesus gives us a strong command. And this command is just going to kind of swirl around everything that we look at this morning. And this is the command. Strive to enter through the narrow door of the kingdom. Strive to enter through the narrow door of the kingdom. Strive, it's this idea of make every effort, strain every nerve, use every ounce of mental, physical, spiritual energy that you have to get through the narrow and the quickly closing door of the kingdom of God. This is vitally important. It's not just vitally important, it's it's eternally important. It's way more important than getting through the door at Denny's. <laughs> but it's also more important than, than, than entrance into the right college. It's more important than getting your foot in the door on some great financial investment. It's, it's more important than getting a good job. It's more important than the pursuit of money or fame or pleasure or ease because this has to do with our eternal souls. It's the most important thing we could ever think about. And so with that in mind, look with me at Luke 13, beginning in verse 22. It says, He, Jesus, went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? 
And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves cast out. People will come. People will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first. And some are first who will be last. Strive to enter through the narrow door of the kingdom. Verse 22 opens up this passage for us and it describes this period of Jesus' ministry well. It says he was going through towns and villages. He was going through capital cities and he was going through places with just one stoplight. He was uh, going to places that are destinations and places that are just sort of dots on the map. And as he was going through each of these towns, he was, he was teaching. He was teaching about the kingdom. He was going through and he was showing and telling about the kingdom to those that had ears to hear and eyes to see what he was saying. He's telling them about the kingdom of God. And yet the text indicates, it says that he was going here, but at the end it says, journeying toward Jerusalem. So while he spent time in in many different cities and towns and villages, he was heading towards one city. He was looking to go to one place in particular. He had a destination he was heading towards. We saw this back in chapter 9. In chapter 9, verses 51 and verse 53, it says that Jesus had set his face to go to Jerusalem. And earlier in the chapter, they were on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that when Moses and Elijah appeared to Jesus and they had a discussion and they were talking, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, talking about his upcoming departure. His approaching departure, the text said, which he would accomplish at Jerusalem. And so Jesus is is pushing towards Jerusalem for this departure. And this departure refers to the death of Jesus, to his arrest, his crucifixion, and eventually his resurrection and his ascension. So we just, this is sort of a side comment, but you think about this. In the midst of all that, that Jesus is doing and teaching and saying, he is heading Somewhere, And everything that he is doing, the, the shadow of the cross and the destination of Jerusalem is, is right in front of his eyes all the time. It hangs over and influences all that he says and all that he does. And he doesn't turn away from this plan. He's not avoiding it. He's going to these towns and villages and telling others, but he's heading towards Jerusalem. Because it's there he's going to accomplish what he ultimately came to do. He didn't come just to go to different towns and villages. He came to accomplish the salvation of the world. And he's going to do it through his death and resurrection. Resurrection, And that will take place in Jerusalem. But until then, the text says he's going around. Teaching about the characteristics of the kingdom. And often people are surprised at what they hear him say. His teaching on this occasion is sparked by a question in the crowd. So someone 
has a question for Jesus. Verse 23, someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? So will many people be welcomed into your kingdom or into heaven, or will only a few people be welcomed into your kingdom? When the end comes, whether it's through death or through the return of Christ, will the doors of God's kingdom be opened wide for many people to come in? Or will only a few be welcomed in? I think we should ask, kind of, why does this person ask this question, especially the way he does? Lord, will those who are saved be few? There must have been some confusion about what Jesus was teaching Because it seems that he's asking this question probably because he felt like this is what Jesus was teaching, that he was teaching that few would get in. Or maybe the issue is that we're going to, as we're going to see later, that, that those who this man may be expected to be welcomed into the kingdom were being rebuked so often by Jesus. Whatever's going on here, whatever the thought process of this man, it's, Jesus is teaching, is pushing against the common understanding of the day. Most people who were Jewish, who were of the people of Israel, assumed that because of that, they would be welcomed into the kingdom. It was only those that were truly wicked, those that were really bad, that would not be allowed into the kingdom of God. And Jesus comes on the scene, and it seems like he's saying that's not true. That, in fact, only a few will be saved. And so it was coming up against the understanding that the people had in that day, the assumptions that they had. But such are the assumptions in our world today, too, aren't they? that the majority of the people in the world will ultimately be saved. That most people will be welcomed into the kingdom, and it's only those who are truly evil that will be shut out. This is reflected in the way that we have come to the conclusion that various religions are all just sort of the the same way to get to God. They're, They're just different ways that ultimately lead to the same God. That there isn't just one road or one door, but that all roads lead to the top of the mountain, and every door sort of opens up into the same place. It's also reflected in the fact that we assume when someone dies that they're in a better place. Everyone who dies goes to a better place. We don't fear the return of Jesus. We don't fear death because we assume that when He arrives or that when we face Him, that He will open the door to us. The only exception is going to be those that are really bad. But what does Jesus say? I mean, that's the question we should ask, right? I mean, Jesus' opinion matters most on this because he's the one that's in charge of the door. He's the doorkeeper. He decides who gets in and who does not. So we better understand what he thinks. Does he agree with the general consensus? So this man's done us a great service, hasn't he? He's asked Jesus a question that we all should be asking Jesus. Will only a few be saved, Jesus? Because if we listen to Jesus long enough, he begins to break down all of our assumptions about what we understand the kingdom to be. As hard as it is to have our worldview sort of dismantled, sometimes that needs to happen, I think. And Jesus does that. So what does Jesus say? How does he answer the question? Well, in this instance, Jesus doesn't answer the question with a question, which is what Jesus so often does. (laughs) But actually, he kind of (laughs) does. Strive, he says, Lord, will those who are saved be few and actually i think the best way to summarize his answer is this will you be saved <laughs> that's what he says to this man and to the crowd will you be saved this is what he does at the beginning of the chapter you remember those those people that died in these tragic circumstances 
and, and they come and they say, were they worse sinners because they died in these horrible circumstances? And Jesus says, that doesn't really matter. What if it was you? <laughs> what if the tower had fallen on you? What if you had been killed? Then what would happen to you? He does the same thing here. Daryl Bach says, the, the, the correct question is not, will the saved be few, but will the saved be you? It's a good way to think about it. This isn't a question like, where do you want to go to lunch, or what movie should we watch? This is an important question. This is a, a question of life and death, of eternal life and eternal death. And Jesus answers and he says, you should strive to enter through the narrow door. Strive to enter through the narrow door. The door here is the picture of salvation. It's, it's the entrance into the kingdom of God. Other, other, ways, other places it's called a gate. Matthew seven thirteen through 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. The narrowness of the door seems to indicate in some sense that few people get through the door. It seems at least partly what Jesus is saying. But I think it also communicates that that the way to salvation is narrow. That there is in fact only one way. This is what Jesus says in the verse we all know so well, John 14, 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He says earlier in John, in John chapter 10, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then he says in the next verse how it's possible to get in. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lay down, lays down his life for the sheep. What is the door? The door is the way to salvation. But another way we could ask that is, who is the door? Jesus is the door. Jesus is the way of salvation. The willing sacrifice of Jesus opens the door of salvation for all who will trust in him. Jesus is the only way. He is the only door that leads into the kingdom. And so Jesus answers this man's question, but he helps us all see that we must ask ourselves, will we be among those that enter through this narrow door? Not will the saved be few, but will the saved be you? Of course, maybe you still think that there's no reason for you to ask whether or not you will be saved. So Jesus goes on to explain that the kingdom is full of, of surprises. God works in unexpected ways, and so we should not assume, never assume that you will be saved, because first of all, he says, we will be surprised at who is cast out. We will be surprised at who is cast out. Verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow door for... That, that for in the middle of verse 24 indicates that this is a reason why we should strive to enter through the narrow door. And the reason we should strive to enter in through the narrow door is because we will be surprised at who is cast out of the kingdom. There will be many, the text says, who confidently walk to the door expecting to be welcomed in 
Many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. I read this on Tuesday, and the scene is just chilling when you read these words to think about what Jesus is saying here. The scene is of all these confident men and women coming to the kingdom of God, and they approach the gate, they come to the door, and they see that the the master has in fact closed the door. It's shut. The, The door is closed. It doesn't shake them, though. They come up and they knock on the door. And they say, hey, open up, it's us. And and Jesus says, I don't know where you come from. And he says, I don't know who you are or where you have come from. You are unknown to me. That's how we would answer the door, isn't it? Someone comes and knocks and says, hey, it's me, let me in. We look out the window and say, I don't know who me is. I don't know who you are. I'm not opening my door to you. If you keep knocking, I'm probably going to call the cops. <laughs> Get it out of here. I don't know who you are. Of course, though, these would-be members of the kingdom can't believe that Jesus doesn't know who they are. What do you mean you don't know who we are? We, we ate with you. We drank with you. you. You were in our cities and towns. You walked up and down and, and, and you taught. I saw you do miracles. He says, I, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you've come from. Leave. It says, depart from me, you workers of evil. These are terrifying. They are disturbing words, especially for the hearers of his day. I mean, these are the people he's in their towns and cities. And he's saying, on the last day, people will come and they will say, weren't you in our towns and cities? And I will say, I don't know who you are. There were many in that day who thought that maybe their closeness to Jesus, that that was a reason that they would be welcomed into the kingdom. And even here, I think his words are probably directed specifically towards towards those that were Jewish. And they thought because of the fact that they were born as one of God's chosen people or that they lived in Israel, that they were going to be welcomed in. But Jesus says, but you are unwilling to repent. You are unwilling to believe. And therefore, it doesn't matter who you are who your parents were, if you are not willing to come to me in repentance and faith, you will not be let in. And the lesson is not just for those that are Jewish, it's for all of us. It's this, that proximity to Jesus is not enough to save you. Nearness, proximity, closeness to Jesus is not enough to save you. Daryl Bach is again helpful. He says, outward contact with Jesus means nothing. Inward reception is everything. If we assume that nearness to God is enough to get us through the door of the kingdom, then we may be eternally sorry. Let me just speak to some of some ways that we might think. Kids, you guys are here. Your parents bring you to church because they love you. I just want to encourage you, if you're a child, that just coming to church, just being a part of a family that loves God, that's not enough to save you. You have to see your own sin. You have to admit to God that that you have failed. You have to put your hope in Him alone. You have to see that you've not lived up to His holy standard. It's not enough just to have a family that loves Christ. You have to believe that Jesus died in your place. You have to give your whole self to Him, just as your parents may have. Maybe you're a consistent attender. Maybe even a member of Grace Fellowship Church. And you assume that you will be welcomed into the kingdom on the last day. That you will knock on the door and Jesus will come to the door and you will say, I went to church. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I don't know who you are. You never came to me in faith and repentance. Maybe you've been baptized, which is a good thing. But if you've 
not died to yourself through repentance, if you've not uh, allowed your sinful self to be buried so that Jesus might raise you up to new life, then when you got baptized, you got wet. And getting wet is not enough to get you into the kingdom. We must repent. We must believe. Or, or, or maybe you've taken the Lord's Supper. But th- there is no ultimate thing in the Lord's Supper that will save you. The bread and the cup do not save us. They remind us of what Jesus did, that He suffered for our sins. They remind us that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. They remind us that we, when we come to God with the life, we come to God based on the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We come to Him with that as our only hope. But they will not get us through the door of heaven. Proximity, nearness to Jesus is not enough to save us. We must turn from our sin. We must trust in Christ with our whole heart. We must strive and continue to strive to enter through the narrow door. Because a a prayer repeated sometime in the past that has no influence in your present will not save you either. There is a continual striving that is true of all children of God, all true children of God, that we must continue to strive to enter through this narrow door, striving to see the kingdom grow more and more in our hearts and in our lives, allowing Jesus to have more and more control of us. We must continue to strive. And notice, if we don't strive now, then we will be filled with grief and devastation later. He talks of this place outside of the kingdom, in that place, the place where you are, we are told to depart if we are not part of Christ. In that place, there is weeping and sorrow, and there is gnashing or grinding of teeth in anger and in frustration. Often we associate that with, with the physical pain of hell. But that's not what he's talking about here. There, there is no physical issue mentioned here. What is the, what is the weeping and, and the anger linked to? It's the fact that when you will look in, you will see Abraham, you'll see Isaac, you'll see Jacob, you'll see all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you will be cast out. You will look in and you will see them all there. Imagine what this would have been like for the Jewish people. They say, we are part of this kingdom. This is, these are our forefathers. I'm supposed to be sitting with Abraham. That, that's the promise that I have because I'm, I'm a, a child of Israel and I'm supposed to be in there. And Jesus says, you will weep in sorrow and you will grind your teeth in anger because you will not be let in because you did not repent and believe in me. You rejected me, the last and the greatest prophet. Maybe you've experienced that disappointment of not being able to go to an event or on a trip that you've been planning to go on. And you log on to some social media site and you see the pictures of everyone that's there. And you think, I'm supposed to be there. I think that Jed and Jopoy feel that way as their parents are in the Philippines and their sisters in the Philippines. And they think, I'm supposed to be there. We've all felt that. But imagine that. Just that, that here, they, they, we imagine we're, we're supposed to be there. And we are cast out. These people that are ethnically Jewish, they surely assume that they had a guaranteed lock on the kingdom, that they're, they're in for sure. And then they're cast out. And so too for some of us on the last days, we'll look into the kingdom and we'll see those that we love, friends and family, and we'll think, I'm supposed to be in there. And unless we've repented and believed, we will not. <laughs> Just say, if you've begun to see, if you, if you think that you will get into the kingdom because 
of some proximity to Jesus, that you're sort of close to Him or close to the people of Jesus. This is a, this is a loving warning that says, no, <laughs> if that's what you're basing it on, then in the last day you will be weeping. You will not be there. So I would call you to repent and to believe, to put your faith and trust in Christ and to strive to enter into the narrow gate. And for us, those of you who are my brothers and sisters in Christ, if we have believed, let's, let's press on. Let's continue to strive towards this narrow gate to get in. Let's continue to press forward to lay hold of the salvation that Jesus has purchased for us. Yes, He has done it, but He calls us to continue to cling to Him, to continue to march forward towards this narrow gate so that we will be found in Him on the last day. Let's all strive forward through faith because we're going to be surprised. We will be surprised at who is cast out of the kingdom. Those we assumed will be there may not be there. But in much the same way, we can see next that we will be surprised at who is welcomed in. We'll be surprised at who is in the kingdom of God. Jesus moves from this alarming picture of people being cast out to one where throngs of people are streaming into the kingdom from the north and the south and the east and the west. They come from all over and they gather in around a table to feast with Jesus and with all the prophets of the past. It's pretty clear here that Jesus is talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about those that were not ethnically Jewish. So the Jews thought we're in because we're Jewish. And Jesus says you're not in because you're Jewish. The only way to get in is through repentance and faith. And there are going to be people that you assume will not be in there because they are not ethnically Jewish. But they will be there because the true children of God are those who repent and believe in me. And this is totally unexpected. This is totally unexpected. This is not what anyone thought would happen. I know this picture of the nations coming in, the the east and the west and the north and the south, and they come and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. It makes me think that the picture of the narrow door is not just focused on how many people will get into heaven. I don't think that's where Jesus is really focusing But I think more it's on the fact that there is only one door. That Jesus is the only way. The issue with the the crowd was that so many assumed that they would get in, even though they had never bowed the knee to Jesus, even though they had never repented of sin and turned by faith to Christ. Many of them and many of us are like Naaman. Naaman in 2 Kings 5. he, He was a powerful man, a commander of an army and He got struck with leprosy, a terrible disease. And he doesn't know what to do. And he he finds out through a little servant girl from Israel that there's a man, there's, there's a man in Israel that can help you. And so he goes and he goes to the palace and the king says, I can't help you. And a word comes from Elisha. He says, well, send him to me. And he comes to Elisha and Elisha doesn't even go out and meet the guy. (laughs) He sends his servant. Tell Naaman to go wash in the Jordan River seven times and he will be cleansed from his leprosy. And Naaman says, no way. (laughs) Does this guy not know who I am? He didn't even come out and greet me. I expected him to show up here and wave his hand over me and take the leprosy away. I'm not doing this. And his servants plead with him. They said, you should try this at least. 
He says, I'll go to any other river. Why do I got to go to Jordan, the stinky Jordan here in Israel? And eventually he humbles himself. And he goes and he dips in the water seven times. And his leprosy is washed away. And hopefully some of his pride too. (laughs) Because he thought he didn't need to do that. I don't need to bow the knee in that way. I don't need to humble myself like that. But he did. The door to heaven, I think, is a lot like the entrance to a bouncy house. (laughs) Our family was at a carnival on Friday night at a friend's church. And Jude and I got to go into a, a bouncy house by ourselves. Now, the door to a bouncy house is made for a child. <laughs> it's made for a kid to get in. It's not made for a six foot tall, six foot one man like myself. But I, I wanted to go in. <laughs> I wanted to enjoy the experience with my son. And so I humbled myself and I crawled in on my belly <laughs> into the bouncy house. And then I stood up and, and was there. And we had a great time in this place. I'm reminded as I think about the door that Jesus, when He calls us to come, He tells us to come like little children. Like, like little children. That we would be willing to, to humble ourselves. We would come with no pride. With no self-reliance. I don't care if I have to crawl through the door, Jesus. I'll do it. I think that's what Jesus wants us to do. Is to, to crawl in. That we would humble ourselves. That we, we need to get on our face before Him and recognize that apart from Him, we have no hope of getting through the door. But He has made the door and, and He opens it and He welcomes anyone who will come in repentance and faith. Anyone can come in. Because it's not just the nations that are welcomed in. I think that's the point of verse 30. Behold, some are last who will be first, and some are are first who will be last. It's not just the nations, but it's the least of these. It's the outcasts. It's those who are the last and the losers in this world. They are the ones that Jesus welcomes into His kingdom. He opens wide the door for those who are outcasts, to those that are beat down by life, to those who are rejected by society, because they are the ones who come to Jesus with unashamed faith. People that are broken by the world come to Jesus knowing that they have need, and they never get over the fact that Jesus has adopted them. He says, this is the way in. It's by repenting of sin. It's by putting your faith in me alone, not not in anything that you have done, not in your own works or who you are, who your parents were, not based on what you have done, but based on what I have done in dying and paying the price for your sin. And those that are broken by the world, those that are that are the outcasts of society, say, sure, <laughs> no problem, Jesus. I will humble myself before you. And such are we. If, if we have come to Jesus in faith, that's how we all came. Every one of us comes through the door in the same way. And repentance and faith. Don't think that you got in because you were someone special. None of us deserves to be in this kingdom. It's a narrow door. There's only one way. We all came through the same way. On our knees in repentance and faith. I've read it before and I just can't say it any better than Brendan Manning does in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. He says this, Every parable of mercy in the gospel was addressed by Jesus to his opponents, murmuring scribes, grumbling Pharisees, critical theologians, members of the Sanhedrin. They were the enemies of the gospel of grace, indignant because Jesus asserts that God cares about sinners. (laughs) They were mad because Jesus said he cared about sinners, incensed that he should eat with people they despised. What does he tell them? What does Jesus tell them? 
He says, these sinners, these people you despise are nearer to God than you. He says, it's not the hookers and thieves who find it most difficult to repent. It is you who are so secure in your piety and pretense that you have no need of conversion. They may have disobeyed God's call. Their professions have debased them, but they have shown sorrow and repentance. But more than any of that, these are the people who appreciate his goodness. Then he says, they are parading into the kingdom before you. For you, for they have what you lack. A deep gratitude for God's love. And deep wonder at his mercy. The narrow door, it is, it is scary. It is chilling if we are on the outside. But if we have stepped through the door in repentance of faith and are continuing to strive to enter, it is a, a means of, of mercy. It is a cause for, for gratitude and humble thanks to God that He has welcomed us into His kingdom. That we have come on our knees, but we have come. That there is, in fact, a door. And so I say strive. Strive to enter through the narrow door of the kingdom. Ask, will the saved be me? And remember that we're going to be surprised at who is cast out, but we'll also be surprised at who is welcomed in. So let's all strive, bend every effort that we have to enter through the narrow door of the kingdom. It is a narrow door and it is closing. So don't wait until it's too late and don't assume that you're in. But it's also an open door. The door is still open for all who would come in repentance and faith. No one who will bow their knee is rejected by Jesus based on the color of their skin or the name brand of their clothes or how much money they have in their pockets. Everyone is welcome to come to Christ. All who are thirsty are welcome to come. The door is wide open. And it's a door that leads into the kingdom of God. It's a a door that opens up to the presence of God and to eternal joy. It's a door that leads to a banquet hall that's filled with saints of the past and with friends and family that we love so dearly. It's a doorway to the place where God is King, where we will enjoy Him forever. So, in light of that, with with a smile on our face, (laughs) let us strive to enter into this kingdom. We should strain with all the strength that we have, working by the power that the Holy Spirit gives us. Let's pray. Lord God, this is a strong word from you. And it shakes us. Will the saved be me? I want to ask myself that question. Am I striving? Am I continuing on in this faith? When it is so, then this is a a door that is narrow, but it is open, and you have welcomed us in. If we would come on our knees and come trusting Christ alone, then there is hope for salvation. And Lord, we, we come with thanks and gratitude. Lord, we come and ask, Holy Spirit, fill us with fresh strength today to keep on fighting Keep on striving to go through the door. Lord, let us not grow weary in well-doing. Let us keep allowing the kingdom to break forth in our lives. 
but you do it by the power of your Spirit. I pray if there's anyone here who's hoping in something other than repentance and faith, hoping in something other than Christ, God, that you would dissolve that in front of their eyes, that whatever is in their hands would just melt away and they would see that they are empty. They have nothing to bring to you, but that Jesus welcomes those with nothing. I thank you for this word to us this morning. May we strive today and this week and until you return or you call us home. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.